please subscribe and leave a review of Dorky wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can support the pod if you'd like. You can use PayPal or buy me a coffee. There are links to both methods on Dorky's website and in the show notes of this episode. Thank you so much. Hello, this is Dorky. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history, and I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned, and my opinion about what I've learned, and I hope you enjoy it. This is the fourth episode in a mini-series of sorts, The Wives of King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII had six wives. His fourth wife was Anne of Cleves. Wikipedia says that Anne of Cleves was born in 1515 on either September 22nd or, more probably, June 28th. I mean, at least they have the year she was born in down. I'm sure you all are tired of me complaining about it, but I can't get over the fact that they didn't record women's births back then. She was born in Dusseldorf, Germany, as the second daughter to a duke and duchess. Not much is known about her until she was betrothed at eleven to Francis, Duke of Lorraine. I can't find a reason given for it, but this engagement was eventually cancelled in 1535. It had been about two years since Henry's wife, Jane Seymour, had died from complications of the birth of their son, Edward, and it was decided that it was time to start looking for a new wife for him. Henry assigned this task to his chief minister, Thomas Cromwell. Thomas had been instrumental in the downfall of Anne Boleyn, and was Henry's go-to man. Cromwell set about this task of finding Henry his next wife with his usual thoroughness. Henry's last two wives had been from England, and it was determined that it would be best to marry someone from Europe this time to cement an alliance with a foreign country. So he sent inquiries all over Europe. Word about Henry's, we'll call them marriage problems, had spread through Europe, and there were many polite refusals. One of the inquiries was sent to Christina of Milan, and her refusal, while prudent, wasn't quite as polite as most of the others. Upon receiving the inquiry, she was said to have responded by saying, If I had two heads, I would gladly give him one. I don't know if she actually said this, or if she did who she said it to, but I think it's hilarious. Side note. Remember that guy Francis, Duke of Lorraine, that Anne of Cleves had briefly been betrothed to when she was a child? Christina of Milan is who he eventually ended up actually marrying. Not important to this story at all. I just thought it was an interesting fact. Cromwell thought that an alliance with Germany would be beneficial to England, so inquiries were sent about Anne and her sister, Amalia, to their brother, who had recently become Duke of Cleves. The brother was interested, 
So Henry sent his court painter, Hans Holbein, who was an extremely talented painter, especially portraits, to paint the sisters' portraits so Henry could see what they looked like before agreeing to any match. When Holbein returned and showed Henry the portraits, he chose Anne. Cromwell negotiated the talks, and terms of the treaty were eventually agreed upon and signed. Henry agreed to pay a 100,000 florins dowry, which is about $14 million in today's money. This sticks out to me, because usually the dowry comes from the bride's side, not the groom's. My own personal, very speculative thoughts on this is that Henry's reputation after having already gone through three wives was so bad that Cromwell couldn't get anyone to agree to marry Henry unless he paid her family. Henry and Anne met on New Year's Day of 1540. Before I get into their first meeting, I need to describe courtly love and that Henry was way into it. So you've heard of the legend of King Arthur, the whole damsel in distress, knight in shining armor. This is where all that came from. Courtly love is defined as a medieval European literary conception of love that emphasizes nobility and chivalry. Medieval literature is filled with examples of knights setting out on adventures and performing various deeds or services for ladies because of their courtly love. This kind of love is originally a literary fiction created for the entertainment of the nobility, but as time passed, these ideas about love changed and attracted a larger audience. In the High Middle Ages, a game of love developed around these ideas as a set of social practices. Loving nobly was considered to be an enriching and improving practice. All that is important because I think it explains what happened when Henry and Anne met and explains how they were doomed from the start because of Henry's deep love for the whole courtly love business. Part of this whole courtly love thing was a game Henry would play. He would dress up in costume, wear a mask, and pretend to be someone else. Everyone in court would know it was Henry, but pretend to not know it was him. And then, boom, Henry would take off his mask and everyone would be like, Oh my God, that was you all along, Henry? I had no idea. Ha 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 ha. I mean, this doesn't sound fun at all to me, but I guess he had to be there. Anyway, so Anne of Cleves arrives in England and was supposed to meet Henry a few days later. He decided to dress up in a disguise and surprise her before they were supposed to meet. I'll let our favorite gossip, the Spanish ambassador, Chapuy, tell the story. He so went up into the chamber where the said Lady Anne was looking out of a window to see the bull baiting which was going on in the courtyard, and suddenly he embraced and kissed her and showed her a token which the king had sent for New Year's gift. And she, being abashed and not knowing who it was, thanked him. And so he spoke with her, but she regarded him little, and always looked out the window. And when the king saw that she took so little notice of his coming, he went into another chamber, and took off his cloak, and came in again with a coat of purple velvet. And when the lords and knights saw his grace, they did him reverence. They officially met a few days later, but the damage had already been done. Henry had been caught up in his daydream of meeting Anne of Cleves in disguise, of them being soulmates. 
I'm pretty sure that's not the term he would have used back then, but you get the idea. Bonded through his idea of courtly love, and even though he was in disguise, she'd instantly fall in love with him and be overjoyed when he revealed himself, and they'd live happily ever after. Instead, this rather serious, formal German princess was what I'm sure to her seemed like assaulted by a complete stranger, and her, what is even going on right now, reaction to it, and the confused reaction to Henry's big reveal only offended and embarrassed him. The German court didn't have any concept of courtly love, so she had no idea what was going on, and she didn't really speak English. So even after Henry revealed himself, she still didn't really understand what was going on, or if that was really the king or not. While a misunderstanding like this might work in a romantic comedy, it didn't in real life. Henry immediately started talking to his advisors about how he didn't like her and didn't want to marry her. In fact, it's reported that when asked by his advisors what he thought of Anne after their first meeting, his response was, I like her not. Of course, this being Henry, he claimed that the reason that he didn't want to marry her was because he wasn't attracted to her saying he had been lied to about her appearance and misled by Holbein's painting. People are attracted to who they're attracted to. I'm not here to judge Henry if he wasn't attracted to Anne of Cleves. What I am here to say is that pretty much everyone who saw her was like, she's pretty. Also, the man who'd been sent to paint Anne's portrait, Hans Holbein, was renowned for his accurate and lifelike paintings and Henry thought her painting pretty enough to choose her over her sister. Also, Holbein was the court painter and held that position for a long time after this whole Anne of Cleves situation. I don't think Henry would have kept him as an employee if the painting of Anne of Cleves had been that misleading. So, in my not-professional-at-all opinion, it wasn't the fact that Anne wasn't pretty enough for him that bothered him. It was that Anne was put off by the surprise meet-cute he played out, instead of immediately falling in love with him. The section of the Wikipedia article about Anne of Cleves titled Marriage starts out, Despite Henry's very vocal misgivings, the two were married on January 6, 1540. And oh my god, does that crack me up. I just imagine Henry being a huge baby and throwing temper tantrum after temper tantrum about having to marry Anne of Cleves. Of course, in my mind, he's holding a huge turkey leg in one of his hands in a fist and slamming his other hand down on a table, but that's just my imagination. There was no way out of the treaty that had been signed, so Henry and Anne of Cleves got married. Henry and Anne's first night as husband and wife was not a successful one. Henry confided to Cromwell that they had not consummated the marriage, and is said to have said, I liked her before not well, but now I like her much worse. Now, I feel like I need to make a point here, one that's slightly in Henry's defense. Anne of Cleves was the one wife Henry married that he hadn't known beforehand. So he was going in blind and cold, which he hadn't done before. And, spoiler for history, never would again, which I think says something. I know marriages like that were common throughout history, but I imagine such an arrangement would be awkward at best, for both parties. And when you add their very uncomfortable first meeting to that, I can't say I blame Henry for being less than enthusiastic about marrying Anne. Or maybe he really just wasn't that into her. I mean, 
She could have been the most beautiful woman who'd ever lived, the kindest, most wonderful person ever, but Henry wasn't feeling it. I mean, sometimes the chemistry just isn't there through nobody's fault. The heart wants what it wants, and while I typically don't find myself sticking up for Henry VIII, if he just wasn't into Anna Cleves, I don't think he should be judged for that. And I don't. After, like, six months, Anne was commanded to leave the court, and she was informed of her husband's decision to reconsider the marriage. Witness statements were taken from a number of courtiers and two physicians to register the king's disappointment at her appearance. Anne was asked for her consent to an annulment on the grounds of non-consummation and her pre-contract to Francis, Duke of Lorraine. Yep, him again. And she agreed. Thomas Cromwell, the one who was behind setting up the marriage, was arrested for treason and executed without trial. I need to just say that I don't think Thomas Cromwell was a very good man. When he was arrested, there were many charges. Things like corrupt practices, leniency in matters of justice, acting for personal gain, protecting Protestants accused of heresy, and thus failing to enforce the Act of Six Articles, and plotting to marry King Henry's daughter Mary. Was he guilty of some of those? Probably. All of them? I, in my very unprofessional opinion, don't think so. Did he deserve to be executed? Again, I don't think so. Was he arrested and executed because he was the one behind Henry's marriage to Anne of Cleves? I mean, obviously I don't know for sure, but I think partially. Henry was that petty. While Thomas Cromwell definitely bore the blame and brunt for Henry's disastrous marriage to Anne of Cleves, Anne came out of it pretty well by not fighting and just simply agreeing to it. I don't know for sure, but I'd like to think she saw what happened to her predecessors, Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, and decided that she didn't want any of that. In return for agreeing to the annulment, Anne was given a generous settlement, £4,000 a year, which would be $3,830,472 in today's money. She also received several houses, one of them being Hever Castle, which was the home of Henry's former in-laws, the Boleyns. Ouch. Henry and Anne became good friends. She was an honorary member of the king's family and was referred to as the king's beloved sister. She was invited to court often, and Henry decreed that she would be given precedence over all women in England save his own wife and daughters. Interestingly, spoilers ahead for history, after Henry's next wife, Catherine Howard, was beheaded, Anne and her brother tried to get Henry to remarry Anne, but he wouldn't do it. Anne had a good relationship with Henry's children. I didn't see if she was at Edward's coronation, but she was definitely at Mary's, which was her last public appearance. I'm only making an assumption here, but as she was close to Elizabeth as well, I think it's safe to assume she would have been at Elizabeth's coronation as well if she'd been alive to see it. She passed away in 1557 of what is most likely cancer. She was 41 or 42, but I mean, who's keeping track, right? I think that Anne of Cleves was the luckiest of Henry VIII's wives. Luckiest is in air quotes because I'm just not sure what other word to use for it. By agreeing to the annulment with Henry, she not only quite possibly saved her life, I'm not being hyperbolic by saying that. Look what happened to Anne Boleyn and, another spoiler for history, what's going to happen to Catherine Howard. But she became very, very rich. 
and by all accounts lived a happy life as the king's beloved sister. She also outlived all of Henry's wives, so there's that too. I'm going to end this with the words used to describe her in Hollinshed's Chronicles, which was a book on English history published in 1577. A lady of right commendable regards, courteous, gentle, a good housekeeper, and very bountiful to her servants. We could all hope to be remembered so fondly. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at dorkypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong. Or let me know if there's something in particular in history you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast. Join it and be part of our community. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. It helps the podcast grow. But more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends. <laughs>